Morning, congregation. It's great to see you. I just want to say thank you to uh, Brookfield Christian Reformed Church. You have uh, been a constancy, uh, a blessing. You have been a place of strength, determination. Uh, I've I've been watching you since uh, 1980 when I fell in love with one of you. And she she was something else, Diane Giles. I fell in love with her because she had a solid foundation. She had been well taught at Brookfield Christian School. She had been well discipled in this place. And there's something about her that grabbed me is that she understood that God is everything to her, that the Word of God is is given and is true, and that it is an amazing love letter given to us. And uh, I just want to say thank you. You as a church have blessed me, our children, our 11 grandchildren. You have been a blessing. And on this 90th birthday of Chet Giels, you even clapped and celebrated with us. We have been partying all weekend. Chet's an amazing partier. But he does love events and he does love this church and this school. And he is humbled to be part of this place. And so am I to be with you today. I'm a pastor uh, in Minnesota. Diane and I are not Minnesotans. We went there later in life. And uh, we were in West Michigan for many years. And we've been in Colorado, we've been in Chicago, so we know what you're going to be facing there. Um, but we are, we are now serving a church south of the river, south of Minneapolis. It's called Savage. It's uh, the only city in the United States that gets away with saying, Savage, please. And uh, we have savage librarians. You should meet them. They are just crazy people. We have a savage mayor. We have a savage party that happens in the city park every June. It's really an amazing place to be. But it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good place. It's a place filled with immigrants. And so we have, for example, at Brook, what's the name of my church, Diane? Bridgewood. Bridgewood Church, we have a 150 garden plots, for example. And they're filled with immigrants from all over the world, love to walk in the gardens, and you hear uh, Spanish and Russian and uh, Swahili and uh, Oriental languages, and you walk from plot to plot in the middle of uh, planting season, and it is 
a remarkable experience. Our church is one that's on the front edge. We are filled with people who uh, are coming into Christ, for, and it's new, and their families are experiencing the transforming power of God. Uh, we are multicolored, multicultural. It's, it's a very remarkable place to be. Uh, and we've planted a church. We're looking to plant more. We're growing out of our building. We're watching the blessing and the glory of God fall on us because we believe that today and now is a time of confidence. And where do we get that information? Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. So God, I, I just yield to you, I yield to your presence, to your glory, to your majesty, to your strength, I yield to your might, to your love. Lord, I yield to your movement this morning. Would you move? Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd take the truth of your word, anoint the words that you've given me and that you're giving me, and touch hearts. Would you move in hearts? Move in minds. We trust you that you are at work in this place, that you are present. Thank you that when Pastor Peter welcomed you, you flooded into this place corporately, coming upon us and moving within us. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. So I'm working with a clicker here, and as soon as I get that up on the screen, you'll see where I'm going. I have uh, uh, prepared for you a message out of Hebrews 10, and there's a word that stands out that grabbed hold of me and that I thought of when I thought of Brookfield Christian Reformed Church, and that word is confidence. And the challenge, I believe, right now in our world and in our day is that we who are believers, and if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe this is a time, and the world desperately needs you and I to be confident. Confident. Right now, this world needs Christians to be confident. To walk into our places of work with confidence in who we are in Christ. To walk into our schools with confidence 
to deal with the realities of the pressures of the stuff that comes on people in this world today with confidence. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Word of God is true and real and to be confident as we sit in a classroom in this day and age. To be secure in the understanding that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and to have this confidence in the midst of a shifting and changing world. And I dare say to you that this is a time for the church to be confident. Right now is a time for the church to shine in its confidence in this world. And as we walk in this confidence, we need to see what the confidence looks like. So therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. In gaining understanding of, 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 of that most holy place, I thought it would be helpful to look at the beginning of the Bible and to go to Genesis. And if you'd like to just look at a couple places with me, right at the front of your Bible, you see that God's desire for intimacy with humanity, that he created humans. If you look at chapter 1, verse 26, you see that he created humans in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is, this is the intent of the Father for humanity, for you to be confident, you humans, to carry his image into this world, his beautiful, glorious, radiant, righteous, holy image into this world, to confidently carry the will of God the Father into this world. We know that that's part of it because when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, we see how God brought the animals and the birds for Adam to, to, to name, and he didn't name them Randy and Charles and and Frankie, he named them Hippopotamus or whatever the names are. And God, God worked with Adam to do that work. God sends us as his image bearers into this world to do his work. Now you're saying, okay, Pastor Dave, I've heard that from Pastor Peter a thousand times. Get on to something that I don't know. Well, the Bible is boring for you, perhaps, if you know all that already. I'm talking about being confident and the Father's intent in your life. God wants you to step out into this world having dominion, rulership, having his image radiating from you, and the only way to do that is for us to spend some time with him. So our word here says, confidence to enter the most holy place. But as we go back here to Genesis, we see that there was a problem. God sent 
uh, Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden, uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. Now, the Lord had planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man he had formed, and, and he made all kinds of trees out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then down a little farther, verse 17, you can eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat of it, you will die. And what does, what do Adam and Eve do? They listen to the devil, chapter 3, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death enters. And there's something very painful that happens. Chapter 3, look at verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So this is a very, very intense situation. God, the Father's intent is for, for intimacy with God, to bear his image you could see in chapter 3, verse 8, where he actually walks into, into the garden in the cool of the day, and, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and he's going to talk to them, and he's going to show them love, and he's going to interact with them. Why? Because there's no barrier between the humans and God. There's, that's God's desire. That's God's heart, that there would be no barrier. And he, and, and he says to them, eat, and eat from the tree of life, and let's have Intimacy and unity for eternity. But God knew what would happen. He knew that they would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he kicked them out, banished, thrown out of the Garden of Eden. No way back in. The people of God, you and I cannot, in our own strength, get back into the Garden of Eden. We can't do it. You can't go to church enough times. You can't be good-looking enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't. But look at our text. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. The most holy place. Well, that, that sounds like a place where God is. That sounds like a beautiful place, just like perhaps the Garden of Eden that, that humans were banished from. How can we enter that most holy place? Well, look at chapter 9 of Hebrews. Just go back a chapter. Verse 2, a tabernacle was set up in its first room, um, and that's the holy place, and there was some furniture there. And then verse 3, behind the second curtain, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But, and then he goes on, and, and how do you get into the Most Holy Place? So we're invited into the place of God's presence in the tabernacle, in the temple, of the people of Israel. And you know who actually got to go into the most holy place? One person and one day a year. The high priest, it says here, verse 7, only the high priest entered the inner room 
that only, and that only once a year, and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. So what we're learning now is that our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who established a covenant with the people of Israel that once a year the high priest would offer sins for himself and then for the people, now you can enter into that most holy place not just once a year, not just once a week, not just every day, but always. You, you get to break beyond the barrier. You who were banished from the Garden of Eden get to enter into the most holy place of God. You! Isn't that incredible? And how? By the blood of Jesus. God sent his son into this world. His son paid the debt. He was the only sacrifice you will ever need. He is our great priest our high priest. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so this preamble, this introduction to the words that are to come says, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, we do this by a new and living way that is the body of Christ through the curtain. The curtain. What is the curtain? Well, the curtain is something that we read about and we hear about in, um, I'm looking, there's some notes that aren't there. I don't know how we got there. Did I do that? Did you do that? I did that? Wow. Yeah, I'm thinking you're smart and fast. But I'm right here. All right. So, the curtain. And what is the curtain? Well, in Matthew 27, we read about the curtain. And we see very clearly that the curtain is is the 60-foot high, 30-foot wide, 4-inch thick curtain that kept everybody out of the most holy place. And we see that when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out in a loud voice, Matthew 27, verse 50, and he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Isn't that incredible? They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people where the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't torn from bottom to top. You don't get into the most holy place bottom to top. You don't get there because of your capacities. You don't get there because you're good-looking and because you go to church every Sunday. You only get into the most holy place top to bottom by the blood of Jesus, by God taking care of it. In other words, you don't come into the most holy place and then God says, oh, come in. Oh, I don't want you to be offended, so I've changed what sin is so that you could be more happy here. No, it's top to bottom. The Lord God paid for everything. 
every part of who you are. When he said, it is finished, Jesus said it on the cross, he meant it is finished. Every piece of who you are is paid for. So what are the benefits? First benefit, then, let us draw near. So how do we live in this life of confidence? Our text tells us you live in this confidence by drawing near to God. Now, I want you to pay very close attention. It doesn't say, let us draw near to the plexiglass wall between us and heaven, and let's press our nose to the plexiglass, and maybe we'll see through the plexiglass to God. We don't have an unapproachable God. Our Lord says, let us draw near. Let us come into his presence. Into his presence. Do you see what's happening here? The incredible glory and fire and strength and power and majesty of of heaven itself is yours to enter. The incredible holy presence of Almighty God is inviting you to enter, to draw near. Watched a documentary recently, World War II aviators interviewed a bombardier who has since passed, talking about the many, many bombs he dropped all over Europe, Germany, and even the Netherlands. And he had a a guilty conscience about it, and he was struggling. And he said, I'm going to die soon. And I just hope that God, when he looks at me, will will remember that I've been attending church with my wife for the last 30 years. And I, I really had compassion for this, this bombardier. Because when he meets the Lord, the Lord is not going to be tremendously impressed with his church attendance. The Lord is going to be really excited about his heart that has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. That's how you enter the most holy place. And you don't do it when you die. You do it now. Draw near to God now with a sincere heart. And I love the word sincere. It's not a happy heart because you may not be happy. It may not be a diligent heart because you may not be diligent. You may have a confused heart. You may have a compromised heart. But he says a sincere heart. A heart that says that I'm going to enter into the presence of my God through the blood of Jesus and I am going to come with all the stuff that has been crushing me and all the things that I have participated in, I'm going to come before the living God. And 
I am going to stand before him and I'm going to confess. Lord, I have participated in these sins. I confess to you that I have participated in these things. And the, and the Lord God is going to hear that and the Holy Spirit's going to work in us and, and, he's, going to, and he's going to show us all the things of, of what that confession means and all the pictures in our brain of how we've participated in that sin. And then we're going to repent. And we're going to say, but God, I'm, I'm coming and I'm drawing near to you. I'm turning away from that and I'm turning toward you. I'm turning toward the, the face of God. Thank you for tearing down the curtain. Thank you for breaking down the wall by your blood. And here I am and I receive forgiveness as the blood of Jesus now just washes over me. Here I was dancing with demons, but now I'm, I'm, I'm coming and you're washing over me, sprinkling, cleansing. And, and all these footholds I've invited in because I've, I've been messed up, you're digging them out and you're cutting that stuff off my mind, my will, my emotions, my body. You're, you're filling me with your presence. Let us draw near to him. The second piece of walking confidently and walking in this new and living way is that we can face life with hope. I love this phrase, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I looked up the word, the Greek word for unswervingly because I wanted to see what would that be? So unswervingly, and I got really excited. You know what that word means? Unswervingly. It's crazy how that works. Actually, it isn't unswervingly, it's, it's hold fast. So hold fast. So in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, and the raging torrent around, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of living in a world where people die, where people make difficult decisions, where finances are up and down, where teenagers go insane, and in the midst of a world where love can be so fickle Hold on to that which does not swerve. The devil swerves. In the book of Nehemiah, we read about a swerving devil. Here, the Israelites were returning from exile, and Nehemiah was to lead them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And out there in, in the land around Jerusalem, there were a couple uh, bad characters, Sanballat and Tobias, and those bad characters were swervers. They, uh, they, they used flattery, they used intimidation, slander, threats, rage to stop the wall from being built in Jerusalem. The devil hasn't changed much. He still uses flattery, intimidation, slander, threats, rage on you. As you draw near to God, hold fast to the hope that you profess because of the one who is promised and always is faithful. Hold fast. Remember, 
Remember, as you draw near to God, remember that He was there and carried you through that suffering. Remember how He has been here for years and generations, and you are a a 5th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 2nd generation believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that I married a woman from this congregation in 1984. She was born in 1962. Their family has been part of this church for I'm 62 years old. That's amazing. We're all a bunch of old farts, right? And remember the faithfulness of our God. Let's not forget how God has carried us through. Hold unswervingly. And finally, all the more, we can face life with God's community. I love these words, let's spur one another on. You don't have to enter the most holy place alone. You do this together. Our brothers and sister and our Chicago champions, these are, these are men and women courageously, courageously planting churches. They're not alone, are you? You do this together. We called, we're called to go out together, spurring each other on. If you're not part of the body of Christ, if you're on the outside, you're not being held accountable. Spur each other on. And what are you spurring each other on? Well, love and good deeds. Where do those love and good deeds come from? From the most holy place. From your time with the Lord. This is the heart of our God. The love comes from his heart. In the, There's a couple Old Testament words. Mishpat and Zedekah. And Mishpat is the character of justice of our God. So right there when you are in the most holy place, you experience the justice and the character of God. And then you have Zedekah, the righteousness of God, moving and working in you, and you take his justice and his character, and in righteousness you go and you bring his holy presence out into this world. Love, good deeds. As you spend time drawing near to God in the most holy place, man, he fills you with love, with justice, with his character, his heart, and he sends you out with deeds that have the fire of God in them to break down strongholds and to stand for lives around you to be transformed. Wow. And you might as well get to know each other because you know what? All the more as you see the day approaching, you're going to have to spend eternity together, right? And you might as well like each other You might as well work through your issues. And after church, maybe some of you on this side need to get up and go over there and forgive each other. Sorry I called you a a total loser. You're really not a total loser, just kind of a loser. And I'm sorry I called you a total whatever. Together. Working through it together. Taking each other by the hand. This world needs us to be confident. Lord, I surrender these words to you.
yield them to you? Would you carry this passage into our hearts? Carry this passage into our minds. Father, have your will in the working of the blood of Jesus. Would you move, Holy Spirit, in us with an anointing of this new and living way? Show yourself in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.